If you had been living in Switzerland along the foot of the Alps during the winter of 1077, you would have witnessed a very interesting sight. See, passing by you in the middle of, the, of a snowstorm would have been the Holy Roman Emperor, who was trekking through the snow on his way to the northern Italian border barefooted and wearing nothing but a monk's hair shirt. You see, a, a battle had been raging for years about who, who in the church or who outside of the church had the power to appoint positions of leadership within the church. Was it the Holy Roman Emperor as the chief supreme secular authority? Or was it the Pope as the Vicar of Christ? See, at this time, the, the power fell to the Holy Roman Emperor to choose not only the Pope, but the bishops and the leaders within the church. But eventually, the church, under the, the leadership of Pope Gregory VII, decided that the secular authorities actually had no business choosing their leaders. Well, King Henry IV, who was the Holy Roman Emperor at that time, he didn't like this. I mean, he had men that he was was grooming and preparing to enter into positions of power. And so he told Pope Gregory VII that if he didn't like his divine right to choose leaders in the church, that Pope Gregory could take a hike. Now, Gregory also didn't like the, the emperor's authority to choose leaders, and so he told the emperor that if he didn't like the Pope's authority <coughs> to choose leaders, that he could take a hike. And subsequently, he excommunicated King Henry from the church. Now, eventually, after some time, after some political maneuvering and some battles, the emperor finally raised the white flag and surrendered his position. And this is what brings us to this scene in Switzerland. See, as, as penance, the emperor would need to travel through the snow on the road to Canossa to seek pardon and forgiveness for his wrongs. And the Pope, he wasn't going to let him off easy. His punishment was that he had to wait for three days outside in the blizzard, but eventually the Pope did receive him back into the church. Now the reason I, I bring this up is because this is just one example of where the church and the state have collided. See, church and state boundaries have been drawn and redrawn numerous times throughout church history. Should the church be involved in the state? Should the state be involved in the church? I mean, who has the power over the other? Who is required to obey the other, the church or the state? Now, there has been a lot of talk these past two years about obedience to the government and civil disobedience in the face of the government. Now, most of us, myself included, had not prior to this thought through exactly what obedience and disobedience to the government looks like. And part of the reason for that is that we have, for the most part, had a government here in Canada that has respected our individual and religious freedoms. And so the issue hasn't become, hasn't, hasn't been an issue for most of our time. But COVID has caused us to start thinking biblically and differently about these things, to start searching the scriptures 
as to how we relate to the government as Christians in this world. And this passage that we're going to be examining today has found itself right in the middle of the controversy. There's really two main passages that people are appealing to in response to our relationship to the government, and that is Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, verses 13 to 17, which we are going to be looking at this morning. So if you're not there already, open up to 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17, and I'll read God's word this morning. <clears throat> Hear the word of the Lord. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is the word of the Lord. Well, there you have it. The answer, I mean, is it, it's quite clear. Christians should submit to the governing authorities and do what they say. I mean, this is obedience to God and it preserves our testimony to those around us. So, when the government says that you should shut your church because of pandemic, you should shut your church. When the government says no singing because it spreads uh, water droplets, you, there should be no singing in your church. When the government says that you must mask up, you need to shut up and mask up. Well, not so fast. See, as we, as we dive into the text... We're going to notice that there are a few qualifications and guiding principles that give us clarity as to what it actually means to submit to the government. Peter doesn't just say, be subject to the governing authorities and leave it at that. He, he explains reasons why, and he also explains some limits and, and qualifications for this submission. And my honest desire is that as we look through this passage, we would be willing to first and foremost, submit to God's word on this issue. I mean, our goal should never be to look at a passage that says, submit to the government, and immediately think to ourselves, okay, how can I, how can I get around this? How can I not submit to the government? What are the, what are the exceptions to this that I can seek after? I mean, we don't, we don't do that with other commands in Scripture. We don't look at the command uh, thou shalt not commit adultery, and think to ourselves, okay, well, how can I get as close to the line of not committing adultery without actually committing adultery? No, we want to obey God's word with a sincere heart. I mean, I don't like wearing a mask. I don't like registering my license plate or needing to get permits to build stuff on my own private property. But... I don't want my dislike for these things to be the reason that I may or may not submit in the, these areas. I want the teaching of God's word to be the reason. And if God's word tells me to submit in certain areas, then I want to submit in those areas out of obedience to God. And so then let us have humble hearts as we study this passage and look at God's will for our relationship to those that God has placed over us. 
We're going to dissect this passage into four parts. So the first part is the command for submission. The second part is our reasons for submission. The third part is the limits on submission. And the fourth is our attitude in submission. So then first is the command for submission. Look at verses 13 and 14. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him. So Peter here says, be subject or submit to every human institution, which he then later clarifies in the verses uh, that follow that, these, that he's referring to government institutions, whether that be the supreme leader or the government that is placed underneath him. And if you keep on reading in Peter, Peter will give this same command to other positions of authority as well. Down in verse 18, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters. And then in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands. And then at the end of the letter, in 1 Peter 5, verse 5, he says, uh, Those who are young, be subject to your elders, to the church elders. And so this idea of being subject or submitting is not just something that Peter applies to the government authorities, but he applies it to multiple types of authorities. He applies it to employment, to family, to church leadership, and then to the government. Now, when we hear this word submission, we can sometimes recoil a little. Maybe there's a little chill that kind of runs down our spines. I mean, we don't always love the idea of submission. And that's part of our sinful nature, I think. I mean, you don't have to teach. I, I didn't have to teach my children not to submit to me. I had to teach them to submit. And this is because we naturally, in our sinful nature, do not want to submit. And so we have this kind of bad taste in our mouths about submission. But what we need to note is that submission is not a bad thing. And to submit simply means to subject yourself under the control or authority of another. To recognize and, and often obey the authority that is being placed above you. I mean, Jesus himself submits to authority. I mean, he submitted to earthly authority. Luke 2 verse 51 says, And he went down with his parents and came to Nazareth and submitted to them. So Jesus, the, the Son of God, Jesus recognizes the authority that even his parents have over him, and he submits to them. Then we also see that Jesus submits to divine authority, heavenly authority. John 6 verse 38 says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so we see that Jesus submits to the authority of the Father. And we, as Christians, are called to also submit ourselves fully unto God. I mean, Christ is the head of the church, and we submit to him as the head over us. And so submission, then, is not a bad thing. The Bible never talks about submission being, being something that uh, is bad or is wrong. In fact, it always talks about it as being good. I mean, it is, it is a beautiful thing 
It was a beautiful thing when the Son willingly and joyfully submitted to the Father. When in the Garden of Gethsemane he said, Not my will, but your will be done. It is a beautiful thing when a wife willingly and joyfully submits to her husband. It is a beautiful thing when a church willingly and joyfully submits to the elders of the church. And now here's the last one. It is a beautiful thing when citizens willingly and joyfully submit to the government authorities that God has placed over them. Now, before you all start screaming, give me liberty or give me death, remember that at the end of the sermon, we're going to talk about the limitations or qualifications for submission. And so we will get there, but for now, we need to see that we are commanded to submit to the governing authorities that God has placed. And so Christians then should make good citizens. We should be law-abiding citizens in our country. Justin Martyr, a convert to Christianity who lived in the second century, he made this point. See, Christians at that time, they were seen as superstitious, they were seen as atheists, they were seen as cannibals and enemies of the Roman Empire. But Justin Martyr, he wrote to the emperor and he argued the opposite. He said that Christians, we are the ones that actually seek and pray for the welfare of the city that we are in. We are the ones who are commanded to pay our taxes and who pay our taxes. We are the ones who are commanded to and actually pray for the emperor personally and for his well-being. And so then Justin Martyr says, when all the facts are really in, Christians are moral, upright, and law-abiding citizens who are the emperor's best allies in securing good order. So then we as Christians are not anarchists. We're not anarchists. The definition of anarchy is the absence of government and absolute freedom of the individual. See, as Christians, we don't want this. We don't want a country without any government, though I do admit at times when our government acts in certain ways that can be appealing. But we need to recognize that no, the, the government has been ordained by God and we are called to submit to it. Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So then the question arises, what does that look like on the day to day? What does it look like to be subject or submit to those who have been placed above us? Well, generally, with some exceptions that we'll talk about later, that means following the laws that are set in place by the government. See, the other month I, I got pulled over by the police and ticketed for several reasons. I was driving with a burnt out taillight. I, I didn't have my insurance with me in the car and my addresses on my driver's license and, and ownership had not been updated. And so I got a ticket and I paid the ticket. Now, are these laws somewhat dumb laws? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I don't think having uh, the correct address on my driver's license is going to affect the safety of anyone. But even though they're dumb laws, should I still have obeyed them? because of God's command to submit to the governing authorities? Yes, I think so. Because that is God's command for his people to 
to obey and to submit to the governing authorities, no matter how, how dumb the law might be. And so we see that we are commanded to submit to the authorities. And that's the, that's the first point. Now the second instruction from the passage is our reasons for submission. Our reasons for submission. And so look at verses 15 and 16. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Peter here gives a few reasons why we ought to submit. And the first is because it is God's will that we do good. God has called us to do what is good. And so we don't seek to rise up against the authorities to disobey simply for the sake of disobeying or intentionally transgress the laws that are in place. We do what is the good thing to do. However, problems arise when it is not always clear whether obeying the government is actually good. I mean, what if the government is commanding you, what if what the government is commanding you to do is not good? What if what the government commanding you to do actually does the opposite of good and causes harm to people? Well, in that case, we don't obey. Because we see here in the passage that it is God's will that we do good. And God's will, as revealed in his word, trumps our submission to the government if they're commanding something that is not good. See, the, the reason we submit to the government is because the government has been appointed by God to be itself under the authority of God. Romans 13, 1 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So, when the government authorities go against the authority that has appointed them, then we are required to do what is good in submission to the greatest authority, God, rather than to submit to the government. So generally then, we submit to the government because we desire to do the good that God wills. Now it's not always the case that what the government wills and what God wills are both good. God always wills good, but the government sometimes does not. And in those cases, we do the good that God wills. And so that's the first reason for submission. The second reason we ought to submit is seen in verse 16. <clears throat> verse 16 says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And so we submit then because we are free slaves. We are free slaves. Now that might seem like a bit of an oxymoron to you. I mean, the idea of submission and freedom, the idea of free and, and slave, they seem kind of contradictory. Well, Peter here says that we are, we are to live as people who are free. 
in the teaching of the Bible is that if we have put our faith in Jesus, we have been set free. We have been set free from the authority of sin over our lives. Romans 6 says that we were once slaves to sin. That sin was our master, that it, it led us around in shackles on the path of sin, and we were not free nor able to resist that sin. But then, praise be to God, Christ came. And when speaking to the Pharisees, he says, Truly, truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Because of the cross, we are free in Christ. But then, the Bible is clear that we do not now use our freedom in Christ to sin and do evil, but we use it to do what is good. And that's Paul's argument in Romans 6 when he lays out the, the beauty of the gospel that we've been saved by grace and not by the works we do. And, and, and then the objection arises, well, should we not continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul says, no, by no means, because you have been set free from sin. Your old self has died and you have been raised to new life in Christ. And so now the life that we live, we actually live as free slaves. And Peter in this passage says that we are living as servants of God. The Greek word is, is doulos or, or slaves. We are slaves of God. You see, when we are set free, we are set free from sin, but now we come under a new master, a new and a good master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 6 verse 19 says, Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. See, we are free from sin, but now slaves to righteousness and God. We are free slaves. And so we use this newfound freedom to do what is good. As we talked about earlier, that often involves submitting to the government, but there's times when it doesn't. I mean, we don't say, you know, I am a free man in Christ, therefore I obey no man and no government. Instead, we say, I am a free man in Christ, therefore I obey man and I obey government in obedience to Christ. And so that is a reason why we submit, because we are free. And we are free to submit to the governing authorities that have been set over us by God. And so we have looked at the command for submission. We've looked at the reasons for submission. Now let's look at the limits on submission. See, within this passage and within other passages we have in the Bible on this topic, we see that though we are called to submit or subject ourselves to the government, there are times when we cannot and should not submit to the government authorities that are over us. We've already seen in verse 15 that it is the will of God that we do what is good. 
And so if the government ever commands us to do something that is not good, or if it forbids us from doing something that is good, then we do not submit to the authorities in that area. The common way that people will say this is, we disobey the government if it forbids something that Scripture commands, or if it commands something that Scripture forbids. Let's say that again. We, we disobey the government if it forbids something that Scripture commands, or if it commands something that Scripture forbids. And we see this, this example all throughout Scripture. I mean, there's the, the example of the Hebrew midwives in Exodus 1, who are commanded by the Pharaoh, the government of the country that they're residing in, to kill the young boys as they're being born. But they refuse to do that. And it says that because of their disobedience to the government, the Lord dealt well with them. Or we have the example of Rahab, who directly disobeys the order of the king to tell where the spies are. And then later in Hebrews 11, she is praised for her faith in this. Or you have Daniel and his friends, who, who both are examples of how they lived in direct disobedience to the government and God delivered them because of their obedience to him. And now it's not just an Old Testament thing. It's the same in the New Testament. In Acts 5, the apostles are beaten and thrown in prison for violating the command of their leaders to stop preaching the gospel. But they still continue to do it. Or in Acts 16, Paul and Silas, they are thrown into prison for unlawful activity by the local authorities. But they continue on in their work. And ultimately, nearly all of the apostles were killed for their disobedience to the state and to the government. Paul and Peter, who, who wrote the words, be subject to the governing authorities, were themselves executed in Rome by the governing authorities, for their disobedience to them. And so Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 can't be teaching unlimited obedience to the government or else Paul and Peter are repeatedly in violation of their own commands. And so there are limits on our submission to the government. Now I said earlier that Christians are not anarchists. I mean that is what this passage is explicitly teaching. But implicitly, it also teaches that we are not extreme patriots either. I mean, we don't do everything that the government says simply because they say to do it. See, in the, in the Nuremberg trials after World War II, where many of the high-ranking Nazi officials were put on trial for their crimes and actions during the war and the Holocaust, many of the, the Nazis indicated that they were simply following the direct orders of their government, and therefore they were not responsible for their actions. I mean, they were just they were just taking orders, and they were obeying orders. They were listening to the governing authority that had been placed above them. But one of the judges, uh, he was not buying this argument, and he dismisses their argument with one simple question. But gentlemen. Is there not a law above our laws? Is there not a law above our laws? You see, there is a law above the law of the land. And there is an authority above the authority of the land. And that is God's word 
and God. And so we must obey God and his word above the government and their laws. And so that is the, that is the first limit on our submission. We disobey the government if it forbids something that scripture commands or if it commands something that scripture forbids. Now, another limit that we see on our submission is that the government has a function that is called to fulfill, and if it fails to fulfill that function, we are not permitted to obey, we are not commanded to obey in those areas. Look uh, at verse 14. I kind of skipped over this section earlier. Verse 14 says, uh, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, or to the governors as sent by him, and here he gives the, their, their reason why the government exists, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. To punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And so we see that that is the role of the government. But what happens when the government is not doing that? I mean, what happens when the government is actually doing the opposite of that? That it is rewarding evil and punishing good. The question is, should we still submit? And I'd say no, that we should not. Because the government is abandoning its responsibilities and it is abusing its authority. And I want you to, to take this analogy, for example. See, from Scripture we see that wives are to submit to their husbands. That is, the, that is the command for the household. Wives are to submit to their husbands. Now what happens when the husband begins to abuse his wife? And he begins to punish her for providing for her family. He begins to separate her from her friends and the people that she loves. He, he tells her, what she can wear, what she can listen to, what she can eat, and what she can do with her free time. Now, is a wife still called to submit to her abusive husband and just take it because that is what submission entails? No. And I hope that your answer would be no. She should not submit because her husband has abandoned his duty as a husband to love and care for his wife. And it is the same with the government. The government has been in an abusive relationship with its citizens over this, these past two years. It has, a, it has controlled the lives of its people. It has abused them. And it has abandoned its responsibility to punish evil and to reward what is good. So when the government then does the opposite of that, when it rewards evil and it punishes good, it has abandoned its responsibilities. It is, a, it is abusing its citizens just like a husband abuses his wife. And so we do not submit to them in those areas. Now a, a third limit on the government is that the government needs to stay within its God-ordained lane. The government needs to stay within its God-ordained lane. And so we know that when the government commands something that Scripture forbids, we can disobey. When the government forbids something that Scripture commands, we can disobey. Now there's a third thing there as well, and it is also true, and this is one that people will often miss, but when the government commands something that it has no right 
to command, then we can disobey. Now I'll say that again. When the government commands something that it has no right or no authority to command, then we can disobey. I want you to take another example. See, I am the pastor, I am, am, I am a pastor and elder here at Evergreen Chapel. And the Bible says in Hebrews 13, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul. And so we see that the teaching of Christian is that the congregation is called to submit to the leadership of the church that God has appointed in the church. But now, what if I told you that I want all of you to immediately today go home and begin starting a new diet? You're not allowed to eat any junk food. You are not allowed to drink any beer. You can't eat after 7 p.m. And you must exercise at least an hour a day. And as, as the leader of your church, I am, I am commanding you to do this. Now, before you object, I want you to note that I am not asking you to sin in any of this. I'm not commanding you to do anything that God forbids or forbidding you to do anything that God commands. In fact, what I'm asking you to do is actually good for your health. I mean, I'm sure most of us would benefit from some sort of diet or routine like this. And so therefore, because I'm not commanding you to sin, you must obey me. The Bible says, submit and obey your leaders. And so what would you say to me? Well, sure hope that you would say no. Because I do not have the authority to bind you to any eating habits. Sure, I can make suggestions, but that's it. As your pastor, it is not within my sphere of authority as a church leader to dictate your life in that way. You see, God has given certain authorities to certain groups or structures within society. It's the doctrine of sphere sovereignty. The idea that God gives each sphere a distinct task and role. And so you have the sphere of the state which has certain authorities given to it by God, which would include things like criminal law, national defense, and maintaining a fair and impartial justice system. You have the sphere of the church, who has also been given authority by God in areas such as church discipline or proper worship or protection of theology and doctrine and the administration of the sacraments. And you also have the sphere of the family, who itself has been given authority by God in the areas of teaching their children, raising their children in the fear of the Lord, educating their children, and disciplining their children. And now there are other spheres out there that, that we could debate. Now, of course, these spheres can sometimes overlap. See, I am a, I am a member of both my church, my country, and my family. And so then if I, if I steal from the church, that should be dealt with in all spheres. I mean, the, the state should throw me in prison for theft. The church should put me under church discipline and remove me as a pastor. And my wife should take over the finances of our family. No, but even in this example, even in this instance, neither sphere is reaching into the authority of the other sphere. 
all are staying within their God-ordained lanes. See, whenever one sphere tries to invade the other, tries to steal the authority of the other, the effects are detrimental. In Scripture, we have the example of King Uzziah from 2 Chronicles 26. If you look at that passage, you'll see that King Uzziah, he was a good king, but eventually he became proud. And he loved his authority and his position of authority, and so he tries to go into the temple and to burn incense to the Lord. And then the priests come and they say, Uzziah, it is not for you to burn incense to the Lord. This is the role of the priests. And as a result, God uh, brings leprosy upon him, and he lives as a leper for the rest of his life. See, the problem with what Uzziah did there, it wasn't that you know, incense was being offered to the Lord. That's something that is commanded to do. The problem is that he, as the king, had no right to offer incense to the Lord. He was stepping out of his sphere of being a part of the state, and he was stepping into the sphere of the church, and it had drastic consequences for him. You know, our modern-day example is the church and its handling of cases of sexual and physical abuse internally. It's not just the state that can step out of its sphere. The church can step out of its sphere as well. See, if there are cases of abuse within the church, this should be taken to the authorities. I mean, criminal justice is not within the sphere of the church. It's within the sphere of the state. And now, what is most important in all of this is to know that every single sphere, whether that be the state, the church, or the family, they all fall under the authority of Christ. I mean, it's not just the church. The church, the family, and the state are subject to Christ. They only have authority because Christ has delegated authority to them. Christ, before he ascended to heaven, said to his disciples, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, Jesus is not only Lord of the church, but he is Lord of all earthly governments as well. Jesus is Lord of lords, and he is King of kings. And therefore, each sphere is called to submit under his authority and his headship. And so the point is that the government needs to stay in its God-ordained lane. You know, I, I find it funny when I'll read Facebook comments or, or see what people have to say about the relationship between the church and the state. I see that everyone is in favor of separation of church and state, but only in the instances where the church is interfering with the state. But when the state sneaks over into the church, tries to exercise some authority and power there, no one makes a fuss. But the teaching of Scripture is that when the government commands something that it doesn't have a right to command, we do not need to submit to them. When the government tells us that we cannot worship in the way that the Bible prescribes us to worship, we do not submit to the government. When the government tells us how to raise our children and certain things that we must teach them, we do not submit to the government. And they're stepping into spheres that they have no right to step into. 
And so we see here that submission does not mean that we do everything that the government says. The government must stay in its own lane. And Bishop Doug Ford can't tell us how to worship even in a pandemic. And Pope Trudeau II can't tell us what we can and can't say about sexuality. They have no authority to dictate how the church runs and what the church does and says. And so we've looked at the command for submission, the reasons for submission, the limits on that submission, and now let's look at our final point, our attitude in submission. Look at verse 17. It says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And so Peter here gives us a string of commands that should affect our attitude towards our submission. Whenever we are making a decision to submit or not to submit to the state, these are the principles that are to guide us. Now we are to first honor everyone. See, all human beings, regardless of their, their social class, their past life choices or experiences, their sexuality, their creed, their race, or their race or their religion, they are to be honored. And there's they're to be shown a certain level of respect because they're image bearers of God. And in terms of submission to the government, this should be taken uh, into our mind when we make those decisions. Is our submission showing honor to people as image bearers of God? So that's the, that's the first thing that informs our attitude. Second, we are to love the brotherhood. And so the command is that we honor everyone, but we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. See, within the church, there is a greater love that spreads through the people of God. The love of God rooted in the love of Christ on the cross. And Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. And so when we make decisions regarding obedience to the government, is it out of love for the brotherhood? I mean, I've heard so much these past two years, this, you know, obey the government out of love for neighbor and out of a witness to unbelievers. And yes, we are to love our neighbors and, and love unbelievers, but what about the people of God? I mean, how is it loving to God's people to forbid them and to keep them from coming and worshiping the Lord. It's not. It is not loving your neighbor to prevent people from worshiping God. The third command is that we are to fear God. Now Peter refers here back to what he said in verse 17. He says, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. See, we will one day be held accountable to God for our actions here on earth. And the law that God is going to pull out when we stand before him is not going to be the law of the land. It is going to be the law of God. And so we are to have a healthy fear of God that drives us in our decisions whether we obey or not obey the government. Either way, we do it out of obedience to God and out of fear of 
God as the great and ultimate authority. And then finally, we are to honor the emperor. If we do, in fact, decide to disobey the government for the reasons that we talked about earlier, we must do so with honor and respect. I mean, just because the government is wrong, it does not give us the right to revile or dishonor them. And Jesus, as he stood before Pilate, he had every right to call Pilate out for what he was doing. And, and, and he did do that in a sense, but he also did it in a way that was respectful, that wasn't reviling him. Peter and the apostles, they, they treated their leaders with respect as they stood before them. And so we now, if we see that the Bible warrants our disobedience to the government, we are to honor the emperor even as we disobey the emperor. Now I want to end this sermon by looking at a passage from 1 Timothy 2, another passage that talks about how we relate to the authorities that God has placed over us. 1 Timothy 2 verse 1 to 5 says this, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high places, that we may lead a godly and quiet life, godly, a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. See, we need to be praying for our leaders. And God desires that all men, no matter their class, no matter their rank, no matter their, their race, God desires all types of people to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that I am guilty of this. I mean, if I spent as much time praying for my leaders as I did complaining about my leaders, I think we would see some positive changes in this country. And Canada is, is God's country. And the government that has been appointed here is to be a servant of God to reward good and punish evil. And so as we submit to God's servant, we also need to pray that our leaders recognize God's rule over them and that they would turn in repentance to Christ. You know, the official motto for Canada is from sea to sea. And you know what that comes from? That comes from the Bible. That comes from Psalm 72 verse 8. And this was the vision for Canada. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now let that be our prayer. Let that be our prayer for our leaders, for our country, and for our own lives. May he have dominion. Amen.